Hey, is God good? All right, so uh, we got some of you are new today, and some of you are not so new today. So we're going to teach everyone, all right? So are you guys ready? Those of you know what I'm about to do, you shake your head. You got, you got me? All right. God is good? And all the time? All right, now everybody knows what we're doing. Should we do it again? All right, here we go. God is good? And all the time? Man, I am blessed to be here. My name is John, and I am blessed to be the pastor of this amazing church. And uh, so, hey, if you're new today, uh, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, some of you are here every year on Easter. Some of you are like every six weeks. Some of you are every week. It doesn't really matter. I'm just glad you're here today. And uh, because we're here for the same reason, as Carlos already mentioned, we're here to celebrate the risen Savior. And as he alluded to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to go to that here in a little bit. But Paul was saying if, if, the, if the resurrection didn't happen, then it's pointless for us to be here. Let's go home and already eat our lunch, right? The one, maybe the, the one day of the year we, where we eat. Uh, how many of you eat the deviled eggs? Yeah, I don't know why they call it deviled eggs on Easter, but I want you to think about something as the video alluded to. I've been wrestling with this thought really for a couple months now. Uh, I read the book called Real God, and, and it kind of spurred this thought of this next seven weeks in this series about the real God. And, and to be honest with you, growing up, now I, I grew up, some of you grew up like I did, some of you probably didn't, but I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad, I, I always knew they loved me. They proved they loved me all the time with a belt, if you know what I mean. And uh, they demonstrated their love. But, but, but I kind of always grew up, especially now that I'm older looking back and thinking through. I, I wonder if you've ever even thought that. What, what's the mental or visual image of God that you have? What's the picture that comes to your mind? And, you know, the video mentioned about five things there, whether that is a politician. And I hope that's not your view of God. But uh, maybe it's that image of a father and for me, growing up, I kind of always imaged, my image of God was always uh, kind of a cross between three different ones. That would be a, a principal, a police officer, and a judge. And the reason, and, and what that led me to do or act like was always, I always felt like God was angry at me. Did you ever feel like God was just angry at you? That's just kind of the way I... And it wasn't really anyone's fault. It's just what I thought. It's just a collection of my thoughts based on my experiences that God was always angry at me. Or maybe that he was always disappointed in me. I, I grew up with a lot of rules, and so I guess I just equated the fact that, well, God has a lot of rules too. In, in fact, uh, the Christian school I went to, we rented out a water park one year. It was a small water park, much smaller even than like NRH2 over here, and, and uh we rented out, it was just our school, and we had, all the guys, we had to wear jeans <laughs> and a t-shirt. You guys are like, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry for you, I'm not sure. <laughs> Anybody ever tried to go down a water slide in jeans and a t-shirt? <laughs> but, but hold on, that's not the bad part, because what goes down must not what? Have you ever tried to walk up over and over and over again with a wet pair of Wranglers? Do we all, have, we all know? We don't have to say it. We just know it, right? So I just had this image of God that he was 
like he just had a list of rules. And, and as soon as I got out of line, it was going to be like school again. And I was going to walk to the principal's office. And he had this little metal chair in the fold, a little metal folding chair in the corner of his office. And I think it had my name on it. And, and so when I would go in, he's like, well, grab the chair. So I'd grab the chair. Anybody know what I'm, where I'm going with this? And you just bend over the chair like that. And when I left that school, I stole that paddle, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> but I always thought that God was just ready to, to, to whack me back into line. And, and that may not be your story. Your story may be that, that you know, you, you view God as maybe distant. I think one of the biggest ways that many people picture God is, uh, is a father. Because all throughout Scripture, even Jesus said, God, my, my father. That's one of the pictures that we are supposed to view God as, as a father. And interestingly enough, when we were, uh, my wife and I were driving down the road, and we were thinking through this, and, and um, I was asking her to help me process this. And even before we did this video, I was like, here's, here's five things. Here's the five things I think that we could picture. And, and uh, she said, well, two of those are, are good things. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, father, it's, that's, a, that's a good image of God. And I said to her, well, it's a good image to you because you had a good father. So maybe, maybe you're not like my wife or like me. You don't, you don't, that when, when you picture God as God my father, that maybe is not a good image. So we all are a collection, really, of our past experiences and our past experiences and even what people have taught us have led us to have a visual, some visual image of God this morning. You walked in this morning, whether you really thought about it or not, you have a visual image or a mental picture of who God is. And it may not even fit into one of the you know, small five categories that we've just kind of thrown out in this video. But on your bulletin has this quote I want you to look at. So a lot of this series that we're going to walk through is based on this book, The Real God. And the truth is, the real God that Chip Ingram wrote, this book, is also based on another book called The Knowledge of the Holy, written by A.W. Tozer in the early 60s. But what these two statements will kind of guide us a little bit in the next few weeks. And, and let me just, as you're kind of opening up your Bible, if you've got your Bible, turn to Isaiah. We're going to be Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, we're going to go through a few different passages, but if you're new to open up the Bible, uh, Isaiah may be hard to find, and so I'm going to give you some time to look that up. Uh, if you're new to the, the, the Bible, also in the front, there's usually always a table of contents that will kind of give you the page number for where Isaiah starts. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 40. Or maybe you have your phone or your iPad with you. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app. The, the sermon outline that's in your bulletin is also on that, that app as well. But this statement here, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think, think through that. Just, it's, it's a really deep thought, and, and I'll be the first to confess, uh, I'm not really a deep thinker. So th process through this. The, the, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about, about us. And in other words, what we, how we view God, that mental or visual picture you get of God, that descriptive word that maybe you get of, of God, it's going to guide your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. How you view God is going is to determine how you live. 
it, but it's going to have a major role. And so what, how we view God is the most important thing about, about us, which leads, you know, when you think about my view of God leads me to my actions, my thoughts, and my feelings, it, the next sentence and the next statement makes a little more sense. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So unconsciously, we're going to always move towards that image of God. In other words, that image of who we see God to be, whether he is an angry, uh, an angry father, maybe he's a, a distant father, maybe he's the cop that's setting the speed trap for you, maybe he's the principal that has, wow, way too many rules and a strong right arm. <laughs> However you view God to be is going to direct your actions, your feelings, and your emotions. So that's why it's really important for us. And, and I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't have a church home that you normally go to, I would encourage you uh, to join us next week. This is going to be like a seven-week journey on trying to unpack this. Who is God? Because the truth is God wants us to know who he is. But I, I do have some, maybe some good and some bad news for you this morning that the reality is, every, so everyone in here this morning, me included, has a distorted image of who God is. Okay, so it's not like I'm trying to tell you your image is wrong of God. I'm, I'm joining with you saying we all have a distorted image of, of who God is. And in fact, Paul wrote in Corinthians that, that we're all going to have a somewhat distorted view of who God is until we get to heaven. He used some words like... Uh, you're going to look, like now looking at God is looking through a dim glass. Or a, it's going to be a skewed, distorted image of God. So the goal in the next seven weeks is not necessarily that you're going to know everything about God. You're going to understand him perfectly. But it's, what, the goal is that we're hopefully going to have a less distorted image of who God is. Because God does reveal himself to us, and we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. So if you have a, a, a church you regular attend, I don't want you to, to skip out on your church and come here. But if you come here maybe once every six weeks, hey, make a commitment to come for seven weeks straight. And, and let's unpack this together. If you don't have a church home and, and you're, you know, what the average American is like, we're going to come on Christmas and Easter hey, just make a seven-week commitment. I'm going to come the next seven weeks, and I'm going to help. Kind of, maybe this will help me. Here's what I think it will help you do, because I think this is an important discussion, and let me give you a reason why. Because we are never going to fulfill or know our purpose until we know and see God. You see, God created us, and as Carlos already mentioned, it's not by accident you're here this morning. God created you, and God got you here. And he used a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different people maybe in your life to get you where you're at today. You, you may have been forced to come here by your wife or your grandmother. God bless our grandmothers, right? I get it. But, but can I just say that, that maybe God was using your grandmother or your wife or your kids to get you here? And, and so... You're never going to completely know what your purpose in life is until you see God a little more clearly. Okay, so let's just, let's just walk this journey together. So we all have this distorted image of God, and a lot of it has to do with our perspective, right? And, and so let me share a few pictures with you that perspective means everything. And what the picture shows isn't really what is happening, right? So let's look at this first uh, picture, okay? 
someone's pretty creative to create that image, right? And, and if you can't see it real clear, there's like apparently a really small guy. I don't know if it's from the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or whatever, but. All right, number two. Now, this, this picture for me is very relevant right now. I, I am training to go on a 220-mile hike in August, okay? And through, it's called the John Murray Trail. And, and I'll be honest, after about eight miles, I, I've been walking some days from my house in Burleson here to work carrying a 35-pound backpack. And that's what it feels like after about eight miles, all right? Let's go to the next one. Perspective is everything. This is just a really cool picture. Next one. That's some creativity, isn't it? I would like to tell you I took all these, but I just Googled. Okay, next one. Pretty cool, isn't it? So perspective means everything, doesn't it? And, and so your perspective of God that you walked into this morning is, is based probably a lot on your experiences, maybe what you've been told, maybe what you've been told even in, in a setting like this in church. So perspective is powerful. All right, so let's, let's walk through this outline, all right? If you have your bulletin, open it up. If you're on the U version, you can, you can walk through us there. Three things that are going to start us on this journey. Okay, these are like three foundational uh, understandings, three foundational uh, things that I want you to understand as we move forward the next few weeks in, in unpacking who's the real God. Number one is this, and this is really going to be deep and profound. God is not like you, okay? I didn't say God doesn't like you. God is not like you, okay? God is not like you, but the reality is most, most uh, cultures, most religions want to create a God that is like them, they, they've figured out, well, and even in our culture, we, we want to create, well, God's probably a lot like me, but, but just a little bit better, or maybe, maybe, maybe he's 10 times better than me, and the reality is God is not at all like us. So if, you're, if you've already turned to Isaiah 40, I want to read a few verses here, Isaiah 40, verse 25. It's going to be on the screen if, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, Isaiah 40, verse 25. It says, to whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal? This is this is God talking, and now he's going to reveal who's talking. He says, says the Holy One. That, that phrase there, Holy One, is, is really the most important part of what we're reading here. What God is saying is, I'm not like you, I'm holy. And holy really just means set apart or separate or different. Or in this context, we would say he is a cut above, like he's way beyond. He is holy and we are not. He is God, we are not. He's the creator, we are the creation. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatest of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. You think about, you ever walked out in the middle of the night and just looked at the stars? I think, wow, whoever created this, however this got here, there's a plan to that. You know, the creation screams that there was a creator. The design screams there was a, a designer. And this is what God is saying. And then verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord of the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. And you, you should underline this next phrase. His understanding is unsearchable. In other words, God's bigger than you think. 
God is greater than you think. You could fill in whatever adjective. God is holier than you think. And not only is he greater than you can imagine, but God is beyond our capacity to even comprehend. So you understand why I say this morning that we're always going to have somewhat of a distorted image of God because we cannot, we just don't have the capacity to comprehend how big God is, how holy God is, how good God is. In Romans 11, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. So you're going to go a long ways to the right if you're new to the Bible you're holding. Romans 11, verse 33. Romans eleven thirty-three. Paul is, is writing. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So he's going to use kind of the same words uh, that, that was already used, that we already read in Isaiah. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And then he says here in verse 33, Oh, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Again, we do not have the capacity to completely comprehend how big and how good and how great God is. He goes on to say, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, who has first given to him and it should be repaid to him? For of him, listen to this, verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. In other words, God is the creator, we are the creation. And we, we tend to want to, we want God to be like us. Even though God created us in his image, the reality is we are not like God and God is not like us. He is way bigger. He's way, way beyond our capacity to comprehend. Number two, not only is God not like you, but uh, we, we have a tendency to, to put God in a box. We have a tendency not only to create a God in our own image, we, we create a God in, uh, that is like us, but we also then want to have a God that we can contain, that we can manage, that we can tame, that we can understand. And so instead of allowing God to use us to fulfill his purpose, which we were created for, we want to use God to fulfill our purpose. Do you see the, the change there? Instead of allowing God to use us to fulfill his purpose, we want God to fulfill our purpose. And so we create a God in our mind that is like us, and we create a God in our mind that, that we can contain, that we can manage, that we can put in a box. Well, because I think this way, then God must be like this. And because I want to do this, then I think God is like this. But the reality is this is nothing new. Uh, turn back a few pages in Romans. Romans chapter 1. Paul, again, is writing, and, and so I, I don't want us to think this is, this is not an American problem. Okay, we see, that, we see this in our culture. We've, we've created a guy, God who's like us. Uh, we've created a God that we want to put into a box. But it's not just an American problem. Okay, this is not something new. Paul writing, and he says in verse number 21, Romans chapter 1, Because all they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Now, it made me think when I read that passage of Scripture, go back to Exodus chapter number 32. 
So if you're new to this, turn all the way back to the left, all right? We're going to go Genesis is the first book in the Bible, then Exodus. And in Exodus chapter number 32, if you're not familiar with the story, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they've been in bondage for over 400 years to the nation of Egypt. You guys have probably seen, you know, or at least seen parts of the, you know, the movie Moses with, uh, you know, I, I forgot who the, the, the main character was of that. Who is it? Charlton Heston. I knew someone would say it out. Did anybody see it was on TV last night? All right. How many of you watched it? All right. Not me. All right. So that's why I couldn't remember the guy's name. Uh, but you've seen that. So you hear about the ten plagues and God is showing his power and he's getting the nation of Israel out of bondage and slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And right after they get out of bondage and freed from slavery, God's re- done this amazing, powerful work. And look what the nation of Israel does. Verse 1 of chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together uh, to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to him, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. Then they rose early the next day, offered a burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So this is not anything new. Go back to the beginning as the nation of Israel is exited out, God has shown who he is. He's revealed himself to them. He's revealed his power to them. And immediately when something goes a little different, it says there in the first part of that, when, they, when Moses was on the mountain, they didn't know how long he was going to stay up there. According to the timeline, we don't exactly know how many days he was on the mountain, but it was less than 40 days. And they were freaked out, and they made a golden image out of the very gold that God had given to them when they left Egypt. And they worshiped the golden calf and said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. But we, we, we do the same thing. We've created a God that's like us, and we've created a God who fits in our culture and our way of thinking, where we want him to be. All right, let's continue. Number three. So, God reveals not only do we understand that God is not like you, we like to put God in a box, but number three, God, God reveals himself to us. So this is great news this morning, all right? This is great news. Now, I've kind of set you up a little bit by saying, well, we're not ever going to get a, com- a clear picture of God, but let me, let me just say, we get enough picture of God in his word. That should, that's why we're here, to celebrate, because we know this, this is one of the greatest things, is to understand that God created you for a purpose, and that God loves you. And there's three different ways. It's a kind of bullet points in your outline this morning that God has revealed himself to us. The first is God has revealed himself through creation. And for sake of time, I'm going to take time and read all the verses, but I've kind of alluded to this already. Go outside and look at the stars and and argue with the fact that there can't be a God, right? Or at least some force that's created all this. And so God has revealed us. And in Romans chapter 1, he said that, that we all stand guilty before God because of his creation. That's why I personally, I love to go outside 
and talk to God. So creation, God speaks and reveals himself to us through creation. The second way God reveals himself to us is through this word. So many of us have a Bible or opened up or uh, thank God for some really smart people who have it on our phones. And, and we, you understand how significant it is this morning that you're sitting in a church holding a Bible? I mean, I mean even this morning, we woke up to news of over 200 people that have been killed in Sri Lanka attacked for attending an Easter service. Over 500 that we know of now wounded. And what I'm saying to you is that the Bible, the Bible you may be holding in your hand or it's on your phone or on your iPad, it has been the most attacked piece of literature in all of human history. And even though it's the most attacked piece of literature in all of human history, guess what? We still have it today. Why do we still have it? It's because God has revealed himself to us through his word. And I'm thankful for the word of God. So he's revealed himself to us through creation and through his word. And and these two forms of him uh, uh, revealing himself to us, they they reveal to us how to know about God. That God is revealing himself to us. But the third one, the third bullet point there, not only has he revealed himself to us through his word and through creation, but through his son, Jesus. It was the most precious way for him to reveal himself. That's why we're here this morning to celebrate that God revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. You know, one of the things, most important things he revealed to us through sending his son Most of you know this, a lot of you, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God revealed a lot to us through his word in that one verse, didn't he? And he sent his son to reveal his love for us. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for, for us, for me. Turn with me to John chapter 14, and uh, when we think about Jesus revealing himself, Jesus revealing God. The night that Jesus would be arrested, one of his disciples came to him and asked him a question. Thomas asked the question, and and that's where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 14. And I think John, uh, excuse me, Thomas has the same question that maybe some of us in here this morning. It's really the question of this series. who Who is God? And what is he to me? Who's the real God? I want to know who God is. And so Thomas asked this question in verse number five. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know you. We don't know where you are going and how can we know the way? Do you get the question in there? Is is all this real? Who who is God anyways? And and Jesus, who are who are you? I love the, the Bible that it's very if you really dig into it, it's very transparent. Like you see a lot of messed up people that God uses. And I'm thankful for that because 
uh, I was a messed up guy. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still a messed up guy. I make mistakes all the time. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, at least I won't feel so bad, right? So here, if, if you go to a church and, and everyone has to act perfect and, and pretend like they're perfect, can I tell you something? Go to a different church, okay? Because that's not at all in the Bible. This Bible is filled with like messed up people that have some real questions and have messed up a lot. And Thomas is like, he's just spent, understand, Thomas has just spent three and a half years with Jesus watching all the miracles. Like, how can we really know? And Jesus answers his question. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So before we can ever take maybe the next step to trying to completely understand who God is, we can do a lot of study, and we can search the scriptures, but what Jesus told Thomas, and, and we won't take time to read the rest of the passage, but the rest of you verses, Jesus is basically telling Thomas, Thomas, God sent me. Me and God were one. If you know me, you know God. If you know God, you know me. So how do I really, how do I get to know God? What Jesus would be saying to us is, know me. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we know about God. The closer we understand, the more we understand about Jesus, the more we understand about God. And in this verse is the most important thing we can know about Jesus. The most important thing we can understand about God is Jesus says, how do you get to God? How do you know who God is? What were the words of Jesus? I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one knows God, no one can get to God except that they come through me. You see, 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, to understand this a little more, Paul is writing, so we understand this morning that Jesus is the way to God. To understand God, we have to come to him through Jesus. But I love these four verses this morning, these four verses of scripture that Paul writes that completely explain what it means to go to God through Jesus. So Jesus' words, I'm the way, truth, and life, no one gets the Father except through me. So the most important thing we can understand is, well, how do I get to Jesus then? If Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life and I can get to God by knowing Jesus, well, then how can I know Jesus? How do I get to him? What is the way? And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so let's unpack these first two verses really quickly this morning because there's some kind of what maybe we would term as, as church words, but they're really Bible words that maybe need some explanation. And the first one is, Paul says, I preach to you the gospel, and you believe the gospel. And because you believe the gospel, you were saved. So what does the gospel mean? It, it simply means good news. Everybody likes good news, right? I got, I got, good, I got great news for you today. I've already shared it with you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. 
So Paul says, you, you've got the good news. You, you believed the good news. You believed the gospel. And because you believed the gospel, you were, what's the next church word? Saved. Well, what does that mean? Let's unpack that for a moment. It means that, that you're going to be forgiven. It means that you're going to be redeemed. It, it means that you're going to have eternal life. That's what John 3.16 was talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life, which salvation, be saved. So Paul is saying the good news, the gospel that I preach to you, you believe the good news, you believe the gospel, and you have salvation. You have eternal life. You have forgiveness of sins. You have a restored relationship with God who is your creator. Therefore, you can find purpose and meaning in life. But what's the gospel? Well, I know we said it's good news, but what's the good news? Well, let's, let's figure out what the good news is. Verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 3 and 4 tell us. Paul again writing, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, Okay, so again, Paul is just saying, again, what, what has he said already? I preached the good news or the gospel. You believe the good news. And because you believe the good news, you're saved. You have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, freedom in Christ. And he says, but I'm just giving you what someone else gave to me. I preached to you that which I also received. And then, all right, here's where it's going to get really important because the next few parts of this verse are going to tell us exactly what the good news is. It's exactly what we're celebrating today, every Easter. We celebrate that every Sunday. You know that's why we meet on Sunday? Because they used to meet on Saturday. And after the resurrection, Jesus came back to life on, guess what day? Sunday. And so the first church began to meet. You know what? I think this is a pretty important day. Jesus came back to life. It's the day of the Lord. I'm going to worship on the day of the Lord. So it changed everything. That's why we're here every Sunday. But let's read it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is awesome. Believe the good news and you have salvation. What's the good news? It's, it's really in those two statements. Christ died for your sins and he came back to life. He is alive. I, lo I love the part of that song, right? God's not dead. He is alive. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Because as 1 Corinthians would go on to say, what, what uh, Carlos alluded to earlier was, because if he's not alive, then th this is pointless. Being in here is pointless. Singing praises to a dead God, what's, what's the point? So my question for you this morning as we begin this journey to know who God is, and we're going to spend the next seven weeks unpacking this, but before we go any farther, I think the most important step is for you in here this morning is to understand to really know God, you have to know Jesus. So the question I have for you this morning, it's very simple what Paul said, that, that they heard the gospel, the good news, they believed it, and because they believed it, they got salvation. Have you ever done that? Paul would later write in Romans chapter 10 that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that he is alive, we will be saved. Amen. He goes on to say, For whoever, whoever calls on the, the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Whether you walked into the doors willingly today 
or it was just another check on the honeydew list. Can I tell you, God knew you were going to be here, and God wanted you to hear this story, and he wants you to believe the good news. Will you close your eyes for a moment? And, and we're just going to have a, a, we're going to close the service with a little bit of music again, okay? But before we do that, and, and, and I, w- I don't want you to check out, I don't want you to start thinking about the devil's eggs and all that yet, okay? I want you to focus for a moment, okay? Because I, I, we ended on the most important thing, the most important question. And I can't answer this question for you. I wish I could. I wish I could answer this question for you, but I can't. It, it's something you have to wrestle with in your own heart, your own life. And here's the question. Again, I'm, it's not about your church attendance. It's not about why you're here or why you thought you were here. The question really comes down to this is, have you believed the gospel? Have you believed the good news? And I, I gave that to you. The good news, the gospel is this, that Jesus died for your sins. He took your punishment on the cross. The second part of that gospel is not only... Do I believe that Jesus died, but I believe he's now alive? So have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Paul would write in Ephesians, For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. Would anyone here this morning just be honest enough this morning to say, and have enough courage to say this morning as our eyes are closed and no one's really looking around, would you just say, John, I've never believed, I've never placed my faith in the gospel. Again, I'm not asking you about your church attendance and how good or bad you are. I'm asking you a simple question. Have you ever placed your faith in the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, that he came back to life so that you could have eternal life? Would anyone be honest enough to say, John, you know, I I don't think I've ever done that. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. This could be the greatest day of your life. If that's you this morning, will you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up right now. Go ahead, put it up. Thank you. Anyone else, just put your hand up. Okay, thank you. Just put it up for a moment. Leave it up. There's several hands up. It's hard for me to see. Just keep it up. The honest truth is not that important when I see you. I just want you to raise your hand. Anyone else? All right, you can put your hands down. Here's Here's the even better news. You've heard the good news. Here's the great news, and that is this, that right now, where you're seated, you can make that decision. You can make the decision right now that I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. If you would like to do that this morning, I'm just going to say like a sample prayer here. You could repeat after me. Again, you're, you're praying to the Lord, not to me. You could use your own words. But it's you just making a decision right now in this moment that I'm going to trust Jesus for my salvation. The prayer would go something like this. Lord, I know that I've messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I've just heard the good news. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm placing my faith for my salvation in Jesus. 
If you prayed that prayer this morning, again, our eyes are still closed. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? I just want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to call you out. Thank you. Just put it up. Just put it up. Thank you. Thank you. Just keep it up for a moment, please. Just keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. In a moment, we're going to stand. And uh, maybe you're familiar with church. Maybe you're not. And that's okay. I want to explain what we're about to do for you today. We're going to stand in a moment, and and we're just going to sing some more opportunity of worship. But I would challenge you, you, if you raise your hand this morning, and you'd like to talk to someone about it, There'll be some of us standing at, at the front here. We're, we're going to be facing you, the men and women up here. And we'd love to pray with you. If, if that's a little daunting for you to think about walking forward this morning, I completely understand. There's a card there in the pew in front of you. The connection card there on the, on the bottom. If you give us your information, it says, I'd like more information about Jesus. Or if you want to flip it over on the back, you can simply tell us you placed your faith in the gospel today. On your way out this morning, there's boxes on the wall. You could just stick it in the box. And we would love to celebrate that with you. For the rest of us this morning, it's, it's an opportunity maybe to come forward with, as a family and pray. Thank the Lord for the risen Savior. But it's also just an opportunity to, to be at your seat and worship. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to die in our place. We're thankful, Lord, that that he didn't stay in the grave, that today we celebrate a risen Savior. Lord, I pray for those this morning that that have made a decision, that you would give them the courage either to walk forward or to pull out a card, fill out the information, and put it in the box on their way out. Lord, as we just close this service with an opportunity to celebrate, to worship, we say thank you. Would you stand with me this morning as we continue to worship? The altar is open. We're going to sing two songs this morning. Don't feel like you're rushed if you come down and pray when you hear the first song ending. We're just going to take this opportunity to worship this morning.